we have a profound responsibility, not just to the next generations, but the ones who are, who are sharing this earth with us right now to be better stewards, right? Of information and of modeled behavior. This is Leaving Well, where we unearth and explore the realities of leaving a job, role, project, or title with intention and purpose, and when possible, joy. I'm Naomi Hadaway, your host. I will bring you experiences and lessons learned about necessary endings in the workplace with nuanced takes from guests on topics such as grief, confidence, leadership, and career development. Braided throughout will be solo episodes sharing my best practices and leaving well framework. Expect to be inspired, challenged, and reminded that you too can embed and embody the art and practice of leaving well as you seek to leave your imprint in this world. Louisa Wees Duran first began her community-oriented work as an equity and liberation educator, strategist, and speaker with a healing-centered and humanity-first ethos. Featured in the New York Times, Forbes, BuzzFeed, and many more, she is a multifaceted and multi-hyphenated person, which gives her the wiggle room to be all that she is and any one piece of herself at any given moment. Wees is known for her kind and compassionate yet direct approach with a perpetual focus on collective liberation. As she says, we liberate others by way of our own liberation. Wees is a boxing enthusiast, coffee aficionado, dog mama, beach baby, music lover, and so much more. Wees, I'm so glad that you're joining me and I would love to just jump right in and have you tell us a little about one of your own transition and change stories. Well, I'm in the midst of one right now. <laughs> so as you so beautifully told the people, I have spent the last long while, nearly a, a, a decade, you know, some people call it a coach. I am not a fan of the word, so I, I prefer guide and educator, but um, a guide and educator strategist really working with people and organizations and, you know, schools doing personal liberation, uh, systemic liberation, right? Anti-oppression work, anti-racism work. And over the last three years since the Great White Awakening in the summer of 2020, you know, we had a, a this beautiful explosion of empathy and compassion and interest in the work. And then there was then the, what I'm calling the Great White Ghosting, which uh, frankly is now, it's it's even worse than it was before the Great White Awakening. I have still yet to completely put my finger on why that is right as a a, my academic background is a as a sociologist and behavioral scientist so in in those veins I like to like collect data and, and watch a little bit more before I give my opinion as to why but what I know is that it is that's the reality and in that reality you know not just the fact that people are necessarily not financially committing to this work but there seems to be a real energetic resistance to the work that didn't exist in the way that it does now prior. I I always say the, you know, the ancestors and the universe work the way that they're supposed to. Uh, In 2021, I applied or I submitted all the paperwork necessary to start my foundation, the Asafa Collective. You know, I knew it was going to take a long while and it didn't get approved until the end of 2022. And so I've been in this unfortunate space that a lot of us are in right now in the world of like, oh, life is lifing and the economy is not getting 
better and we're definitely in the midst of a silent depression. So I can't just like full transition to just running the foundation. And, you know, so trying to find that balance between continuing to do this work that I've done for so long, but really wanting to focus on the foundation and the the youth and the next generation and providing the the support that I so desperately know they need and, and you know, and, and wanting to provide. So all of that to say, I made a decision about three weeks ago that was like, listen, it's time to buckle up, baby. It might be hard. You know, it's a little scary when you're like, I'm just going to not re-sign clients because I need to create the energetic capacity to really focus on this this next phase. Um, so, you know, full transparency, I'm doing the scary thing right now. But it it is so critical and so important, not not just because of, you know, of the economy and all the things that are happening, but because of the energetic shift that has really happened around liberation work where people either seem uh, disinterested, overwhelmed, just life, like I said, life is lifing for everyone and getting in the way, you know, of, of being able to see outside of, of themselves in this moment. And I completely understand that the, the work that we're going to do with the foundation, with the, the collective is, is just so important. And so, yeah, I'm just, I'm jumping head first into it. And I don't know what that means for, you know, baby got a mortgage and a dog and like and a cell phone bill and all the other things. But I also I also believe that, you know, sometimes you have to walk by whatever your faith is, walk by faith and trust in your skill set and and just do the thing when you know it's right. Do you think that your relationship to transition and change is different now that you're in the middle of this really big one? It doesn't match what you would have said a year ago. If you would ask me a couple years ago. I would say the answer is completely different. A couple years ago, before I really committed to my own liberation work in the way that I have now and and really integrated it and it became a full practice, right? Because it's a reflexive muscle, like you got to use it to strengthen it. Um, so when it was still like a little baby weakling muscle, the the answer would have been completely different. It would have been, you don't take risks unless you have the plan and like you have to have all of the things covered and you have to know, right? There was this this idea of a, a required knowing. And I think part of it comes with age, part of it comes with liberation work that now I can say, I, I, re- I can recognize the emotions and the nervous system reaction that's happening, but I have an acceptance around the like, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't have all the answers. Uh, what I do know is enough for me to trust in the decision though, right? So I know that I've got me, I know that I have a support system that is in right reciprocal relationship with, you know, with me. I've, I've got the skill sets necessary and I trust in, in those things. And at the end of the day, I also know that I've been in dire straits before, been paycheck to paycheck. I've been, I don't know where, what the next paycheck is going to look like before in my life. And I've always figured it out. So I also trust in that ability, right? Like I really have this um, get it up out the mud kind of mentality that I think coming up lower socioeconomic class and and moving through through that kind of ladder up and down because it's not fixed, right? And having, you know, multiple marginalized identities in, in, in this world, unfortunately, it's like, right, it's you you develop that that kind of ref- reality of like, well, it's either you or me and it's not going to be me. So like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm always going to be all right. So that's interesting when you're talking about that, that navigating the ladder. I, I know mm-hmm. it well as well. And I wonder mm-hmm. if there's something, there has to be something that is matching in the reason why the great white ghosting is happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
when you said also you have to use it or you lose it, or you have to use it to strengthen it. And so if we have, if there's been no encouragement or there's been an emboldening almost to not have to stick with liberation and justice and equity practices, Mm -hmm. why would anyone? What would you say to folks who are kind of in the same boat where they're in embedded deeply into movement building or advocacy work or justice work across whatever field, sector, industry it might be, what would you say to them if they're finding themselves at a crossroads where it is scary to make a change? Maybe leaving is the right thing. Maybe they haven't been treated well. Maybe there's folks in power in leadership that are working against them. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the first thing that I kind of like counsel people to do is have a really honest, what I call like a come to Beyonce, right? Like have this moment with yourself and granted, we can't ever take financial safety and stability out of the, out of the equation. But if we put it on pause for a moment, really checking in with yourself of like, what is my work-life balance? Do I have the space for rest, for joy, for peace? Am I truly enjoying my life and not in a way of like, oh, I get to travel, right? But like, do I have the capacity for it? And if the answer is no, then the question becomes what is getting in the way? And 99% of the time, it is unfortunately because so much of our life in in Western societies and specifically in the US is work, right? Like we don't we don't work to live, we live to work in this country. That's that's how we've been socialized. Because that's the thing getting in the way, right? Then I typically will tell people like, write yourself a letter, right? Or or like have a really honest moment with yourself because it's easier when we can step outside of ourselves and like, you know, talk to ourselves. What would you want for yourself? Would it be waking up every day and hating where you're going or going a place and not being treated well and, you know, all of the things, not being able to rest, burnout, overwhelm? No, I'm going to guarantee it's not. Nobody, nobody wants that. Right. And so like, so that's the first thing I say. The next thing I say is you need to really, really start to get curious around your relationship to productivity, your relationship to like worth as it is tied to productivity and question why you're willing to stay somewhere, even if it is in movement building that doesn't actually honor the ethos of any movement I've ever seen before, right? Like no liberation movement has ever said, yeah, work work in a place that, you know, is effectively toxic or makes you unhappy or steals your joy, steals your life, steals your humanity. What are we building for, right? And we can't take care of others if we can't take care of ourselves. So that's that's kind of the, the, the basis because I think when people can start to reorient to that, it makes it a lot easier to then do the scary thing because we can't ever remove the scary from the equation. It also makes me wonder then if there's a deeper question as well around, is this actually movement building? Is this actually justice work? Then once we write that letter to ourselves and dig a little deeper into what is the work we're actually showing Mm -hmm. for. Mm -hmm. Unpopular opinion. Most of y'all that work in movements and nonprofits or foundations are actually just replicating systems of oppression and systems of whiteness hate to break it to y'all. It's an, it's an industrial complex, like every other complex. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's even more toxic sometimes because there's that layer of help and the layer of systems change when it's actually not happening. 
Yeah. So there's a layer of where we gaslight ourselves and or because the organizations that we are a part of are replicating systems of whiteness, they are using shame, guilt and gaslighting to keep us in this in this really toxic cycle. A. B. There is what I call the um, of service martyrdom syndrome. Right. I used to just call it like the nonprofit, but it's like there's so many different kind of movements now where it's like. It's the of service martyrdom syndrome where we are literally made to believe, and this is on purpose, right? This is by design. We are made to believe that if you are going to be of service, then you are supposed to be able to take everything on the chin. You, you are, if you do not, if you are incapable of carrying the weight of the world and doing it without rest and doing it without, you know, stepping away for a little bit and taking care of yourself, then you're not doing it right. And something's wrong with you. And you should also be able to do it and only make a dollar and a half an hour. And how dare you want more money because now you're a capitalist, right? Like it's so toxic and it's so problematic and it creates a space. We've mastered the perception of liberation and equity, but because we don't have the integrity of the actual elements and pillars of liberation work, then it just becomes a much nicer looking system of oppression. Yeah. It becomes a, a much nicer looking one. And it also, I think, breeds the grounds for people to never leave the work, which means you're also not raising your hand to say, I'll tap out so that someone else can come in. That's why we have founders that are at nonprofits for 10, 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. A hundred percent. What would you say around boundaries then? Because, you know, boundaries inside of that work, if that's what you you feel like you're called to do, it might be mm-hmm. a lot for someone to listen to what you're saying and be like, all right, then I'm out. You're right. Like, I hear you, Weez. Yeah. I need to like come to terms. I need to have a come to Beyonce, come to Jesus. Yeah. But yeah. then ha- they still have to go to work tomorrow or they still have to do something that takes them on a path of maybe leaving well or exiting, exiting out. So what do we do in the meantime? Is it boundaries? Is it something else? Yeah. So I think it's a combination of things. I think yes, boundaries. However, I'm actually less interested when I talk, when I like guide people through this work, I'm less interested in the, like, how are you advocating for yourself? You know, and how are you upholding boundaries in the workplace? That's a secondary question. My first question is what are your boundaries like with yourself? Do you have healthy boundaries with yourself? Do you have healthy conversations with yourself? Because you can say all day long, your body can be screaming at you. Like you're tired. You actually have been working 11 days straight. You need to take a day off. And your your employer very well might not expect you. I mean, they shouldn't, right? Like, doesn't expect you to work on Saturdays and Sundays. Those are actually your days. But we do it anyway. But we do it anyways. There's nobody in your house requiring you to open your computer when you're sitting at, at breakfast at the table. So what are your boundaries with yourself? What conversations are you having with yourself? Why don't you give yourself the permission to delineate between work time and personal time? When your body is telling you what you need, what narrative is keeping you from listening? What do you need to repattern or relearn so that you can honor the things that your mind, body, spirit are telling you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you cannot tend to your physical, emotional, spiritual, psychological health, like internally, and it doesn't really matter what you tell anybody else, right? Because you can tell your boss, it's five o'clock. Mm-mm. Y'all pay me from nine to five. Goodbye. Yeah, but you still went home and opened your phone 
and got on Slack, and, right? Like, so it doesn't it doesn't really matter because your boss might honor that. And and so here's another un- unpopular opinion that we don't like to say out loud. Sometimes it's actually not your boss. Sometimes it's not your workplace. Sometimes you are actually your own worst enemy in that regard. But it is so hard for us to accept that we're doing that to ourselves. So then we project it out. Yeah. And we say, oh, it's this workplace. Yeah. Is it? Sometimes it is. Like, to be fair, absolutely, right? Capitalism, corporate capitalism, 1,000% is exploitative and extractive. But you you know I love the but and also and the nuance, right? And we have to be able to hold the reality that multiple things are true at once. Yes, we do work in environments that are exploitative. And also, we've been socialized to exploit ourselves for an, you know an array of different reasons. Everyone's reasons are going to be different even though our root causations might all be the same, right? But we are also participating in that. And so you might have a boss that's like, no, 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 you're off, bye. But you're actually the one dishonoring your own boundaries. Not only that, but it makes me think like, yes to everything you just said. And then it also makes me think that if we are in movement building, being of service, all those places, we are perpetuating the very thing that we're most often saying that we're not here for. So we're furthering, furthering and perpetuating the exploitation by looking at email on the subway home after we just told our boss, no, I'm done at five. Yeah. That's, that's a powerful realization. How does that play into then legacy? So if we think of movement building advocacy work, all of those things, how does this play into legacy and what we, and maybe you have something to say about our personal responsibility to legacy and our social, socioeconomic legacy, but I'm curious what you would say around. Yeah. Legacy. So I have a little bit of a, uh, so I'll just name how I view legacy first. Cause I actually in, in recent years have realized that I'm not, I don't talk about legacy. Like I'll have conversations with people who were values aligned, ethos aligned, all the things. And we're like, oh, we're talking about legacy in different ways. Mm. So for me, when I talk about legacy, I talk about the lasting impact that you have on any single individual human being. The kid who is in line at the grocery store behind you, who's a dollar short to buy their meal and they're at university, you know what I mean? And you're like, you know what? I got it. Like, and you pay for it. That is a moment of legacy that that single individual is going to remember that moment of kindness and compassion and humanity for the rest of their life. Guaranteed, right? They not they might not remember exactly your face. They might not ever remember your name, but they are going to remember that moment. That's legacy. And so the reason that I think about it like that is because I really live my life in a right in this liberatory framework that I teach people. So for me, I'm like, I've already left a legacy. I could do nothing else. I could never have started the foundation, never have started a podcast, not have my name in New York, wherever else. No one could ever know my name. And the legacy that I have left because of how I live my life, those are those are the moments that then carry on because that same kid is going to grow up and that kid is going to remember that random adult, that random chicken line at you know Safeway or wherever you're at in the world, your grocery store, that did that. And then they might carry that on, right? When there's a kid who's in a, mo- in a moment of need. And remembers the impact that it had on them. And is like, you know what? I got you. I'll buy your dinner. I'll buy your groceries. Whatever the case is. That's legacy. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And so when I think about it like that, you don't have to be rich. You don't have to have expendable income. You just 
have to be community oriented. You have to be people first minded. You have to have empathy. You have to have compassion. You have to have kindness. Not niceness. Yeah, those are different. I'm so tired. I don't give a shit if you're nice. I really don't. My time in New York especially reaffirmed that because people growing up in California, people are like, you're not always very nice. And I'm like, no, I'm direct. Don't ask me questions you don't want answers to. <laughs> a. B, I'm, I'm, I've always, because I was raised by a mother who was deeply kind, you know, so she modeled that for me. I've always, I've always said I'm deeply kind, right? And that's a difference between, as an aside, difference between New York and California. <laughs> California is very nice, but not very kind. Yeah. New Yorkers might not be quote unquote nice, but they are some of the kindest people. Thinking about legacy too, and and the detaching of our name to it mm-hmm. makes mm-hmm. me think too around sometimes part of your legacy is knowing when to go, you know, and, and making the decision and having decision confidence around your work there being done. Uh, and I'm curious if you have thoughts or if you have advice around knowing when it is time to go, knowing when it's time to pivot, knowing when you should stay? So I, I I never in my life thought that I would be quoting Mitt Romney. Okay, I'm ready. But just, just follow me for a second, y'all. I promise. Mitt Romney recently, and I'm going to paraphrase because it was uh, you know a long interview. Mitt Romney recently said that the reason he was stepping down from politics, even though he still has all his faculties and is, you know, really plugged in and, you know, useful for his age, that he is at an age where the world as it is basically a suits him, but also he is too far removed mm. from the generations that are going to inherit the decisions that they are making right now. And the act, I know, I know, listen, y'all can't see Naomi's face, but that's the face that I made. I was like, what? Oh. Nick, do we agree? So when you are doing anything, whether it's leadership, you know, whether you're in leadership, whether you're just, you have a position in a, in a movement, in an organization, and you recognize that your decision-making or your actions, your behavior are going to leave a lasting impact on community, culture, policy, structure, politics, whatever the case is. And you're further removed from those that are really plugged into the needs, the current true needs. It's time to step aside. That's when you become an auntie. Like I feel like I've hit auntie, auntie age. And I, and I love it. I'm, you know, I'm going to be 38 actually in like ex- exactly a month. So, you know, by all means, I'm not old. I'm not calling myself old by any means, but for the life that I've lived yeah. and how long I've been doing this work, I've hit auntie age. It's time for me to support the next generation. It's time for me to create spaces for them to come and ask questions and are we allowed to cuss on this podcast? Yes, absolutely. And fuck it up. And, you know, and know that they can go somewhere and be like, yo, I don't know if this is right. This is wrong. And provide counsel and guidance and emotional and mental support. Yeah. And and a place to for them to, you know, be human and learn from my mistakes. And that's my role now, right? My role is to say, how do I help you, next generation, continue this work? I want to pass the baton while I am still energetically youthful enough 
to guide y'all and usher the next generation into carrying that baton with the skills and the support and the confidence necessary. Yeah. Yeah. That's when it's time to step away. Right. When you still got it, like you still, still got it. You could do it. But for what? Yeah. Well, and, and there's something to be said too about the whole, so I'm 47. I always have to stop and think for a minute and I'm squarely in the second half of my life. And that's assuming yeah. I make it to like, you know, 90, 95. Yeah. And so if I haven't already done the thing, so like Wednesday's my favorite day of the week and it's my favorite because I either have enough time to still get something right. If I fucked around the first part of the week or if it's <laughs> yeah. the flip side and I've been busy and booked and doing my work then I have some time to rest. And I feel like that's where I am in my life right now is like, I'm at my Wednesday of, have I already done what I said I would do and what I came here to do, what I've been placed here to do. And so if I have, then where should I sit on my hand instead of keeping it up in the air and saying, I'll do it, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that takes leadership. And so Mitt's comment about, I mean, he was, he knew in himself that he was not connected. And he also probably knew in his heart of hearts that there was someone else smarter and more ready, all those things. So I love that you're on stage Wednesday, powerful. Where do values come into all of this for you around knowing your work, knowing when it's time, knowing when to show up, having boundaries, all the things? Yeah, my I mean, my values are in everything that I do. When I started my own healing and liberation journey, I was 27. Yeah. I mean, I, let me let me be clear. I have had the these values and the integrity of these values since as long as I can remember. I was raised by parents who were very, very clear. You know, and I was raised in the Bay Area. Oakland has a very clear history of activism and disruption and, you know, all of the things. So I've had those values forever, but I'm not exempt just like nobody else is from being socialized into systems of oppression to having, you know, we all swim in the waters, right? From absorbing narratives around worth and productivity and competitiveness and all of those things. And so 27 is the moment that I really, that I realized um, through a, a variety of life experiences that the values that I hold and have were actually in direct conflict with how I was taught to live my life and what success meant and what community meant and, and all of those things. And so I made a very conscientious choice to, to pivot and to do the really hard work of the unlearning and the relearning and the, you know, the healing and oh. so on and so forth. So I will say since then, Every single decision that I make, every single thing that I do is inherently values aligned, is rooted in those values, is rooted in a liberation ethos, because that is truly how I live my life. Yeah. And not to say that it's easy, you know, I, I have conversations with friends of mine all the time where it's like you sometimes have to really sit down and pick the lesser of the liberatory evils, because sometimes there are no liberatory choices that are really in full alignment, right? So it's okay, given the society that we live in, what decision can I make that aligns closest to my values that's gonna let me sleep at night yeah. and not feel cringe, right? <laughs> like not feel gross about it. Yeah, every single thing, right? Even the decision right now to step into the foundation and really, I'll continue to do, you know, the the coaching and the consulting 
on a much smaller scale because I don't think I can ever fully step away from it. I just, you know, it's so much part of what I love to do every single day and supporting people in their journeys. And I'll still be doing that with the kids, you know, through the Asafa Collective. But transitioning to really like now having the title title of like founder and executive director and and really like mentor auntie because that's what I'm gonna, I'm like I'm not a mentor I'm an auntie I like that title better that would be an amazing <laughs> title by the way to have as a foundation founder like, yeah oh yeah, yeah. auntie That'd be awesome. head auntie in charge <laughs> yeah, I love it <laughs> yeah and so you know stepping into that is really because of that values alignment right it's where can I be the most effective now for the community. Yeah. Where, how can I use my skills and my resources to expand opportunity, but also move the needle of equity forward? I could easily keep doing the thing. I'm, I'm in the middle of tech land. You know what I mean? Like I could easily keep doing the workshops for the techies and for what? Yeah. That's going to be someone else's work. Someone else. Absolutely. Enjoy yourself. Like, cool. There's enough of people doing this type of work. Um, but for me, that just, that doesn't feel values aligned anymore. Come full circle back to the beginning of this podcast. I'm like, y'all aren't applying it anymore. Yeah. Y'all probably archived the black square post. Like you're not in- really interested. I think they you're just not really doing it. An archive. They just del- probably, yeah, they just full deleted. Right. It's like, we've been having the same workshops for how many years and your systems and policies and culture are still not changing. Like, It's not that I'm giving up on them, but again, it's like, it's that moment of knowing the amount of money that obviously one makes working with these types of companies compared to, you know, doing foundation work. We know there's a huge disparity there. And I'm going from depending on corporations to pay invoices to community members and people to donate to a foundation. And I don't know, maybe Google, you can donate too, but, (laughs) but because of my values alignment, right? This is the question of like, just the trusting and the knowing and the following the path and having faith in the path is this is what my values lead me here. Yeah, My values say, sure, you could, you know, probably make more money, continue to make more money doing a thing, but to what end? Yeah. Right. Cause if it was about the money, if I was, if I didn't have a people over profit ethos, I would keep doing that but I'm not interested because that's not what's going to best serve the community and the collective. Values also can help the journey back to center be a little shorter when you find yourself off. And I hear that in what you're talking about in having lived according to your values for so long, it also helps keep you that much tighter and closer to what it is you need to be doing next because you, you can't get that far off of center when you're living in accordance and operationalizing your values. Yeah, yeah it's, that's why it's really easy for me to say no to a lot of things yeah. that might look shiny. I'm, I can do a really quick values check on the organization, on the offer, on whatever. And I'm like, I am, no, thank you. Like, yeah. I, I, I can't do it. Yeah. Well, and I think that goes, you know, when we were talking earlier about the companies and the corporations and the people who have said, you know, I don't really know if this justice work is for me. I don't know if equity is something we really need to focus on. It's that I think we have gotten so used to having values be up on someone's wall and then we just let that be it. And I think it's a new thing for a lot of people to realize like, oh, we each have personal values and that's how we make our decisions on how we, what we buy, what movies we see, what people we surround ourselves with, all the things. And I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up about like, they're in you. You just, we have to stay connected to them. Yeah. A hundred percent. 
Yeah. I mean, I say, and people think it's wild, but I'm like, it's, it's down to like, what content are you consuming on social media? A follow is, is an endorsement. If I, I mean, even friends of mine, the moment that I realize we are out of value, like true values alignment, not like, oh, we just practice certain different things, or maybe we have difference of opinions, like values. Like it's very easy for me, you know, grieve the relationship, walk away, unfollow them. Like I I can't. Yeah. And I know some people are like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's just social media. Maybe when it first came out, when like we were in undergrad, you know, but it's such a large part of the way that we communicate, the way that we assign value, the way that we endorse things. We can't say that anymore. Right. Yeah. It controls what we like, if we like and give that credence, that value to it, then it also controls, yep. comes back to us. Yep. And that's, that's hella messy. And also how many other people see it too. Yeah. Is there anything about change, transition, leaving things that, people might be shocked or surprised to hear you say that might be a, that might be tall order to ask you to say something that would shock people, please. But I feel, I feel, I know I'm like, I feel, I actually don't think anything I say is shocking. It's just truth. And then it's surprising when people come back and they're like, Oh, you said that out loud. And I'm like, yes, of course. Cause it's the I truth. Know. I know. I think this, this will maybe shock people only in that because I, and liberation rooted and the things that I teach about like grace and closing the door, but not locking it on people, so on and so forth. You know, the joke online, people like, oh, my toxic trait. And then it's not really that toxic. (laughs) Like, so I joke about the fact that my toxic trait is the second that I decide that you no longer have a place in my life, you cease to exist. Mm -hmm. My God, my God brother sent me a meme of like a light switch. And it was like the reference. Yeah, exactly. And it was like, somebody literally just like, it was like, now you see me, now you don't or whatever. And it was like, he was like, this is how you be. And just like flip off the light. And I think that surprises people. That's even in my own life, like in real life, people are surprised because I also think we have a really unhealthy way of interacting with people where like, we think that when someone's like, yo, here's, here's how I would like you to treat me. Here are my boundaries. And then they like stomp all over those boundaries that you're just going to like you're joking when you're like, hi, you no longer get access to me. Right. But I'm very like, I don't, I don't fucking play when I did, when you've shown me that you no longer are in right reciprocal relationship with me, cannot, for whatever reason, cannot, uh, you know, honor my boundaries or are just, you just no longer, I feel deserve access to me. Literally you don't exist. I'll see you on the street. I won't even, I won't speak. I'm not like super rude if you like have the audacity to come up and speak to me. Like I'll say hello, I'll be civil, but literally that's it. Hi, I'm well, have a nice day. Imagine imagine if we didn't hold on to decisions as long as we do and we applied that in the places that we show up to. Yep. Because we hold on to decisions so long, so long. We go back and forth and then we, you know, make it mean all these things and we make pros and cons lists. And I think that is probably as we're talking, I'm realizing like you asked me like what also like the difference in transition, that's been the biggest game changer for me in trans in transitionary periods in my life is that I have learned to trust self. I have, I have really done a lot of work to integrate my mind and my body. So now I have intellectual experiences and somatic experiences and I, I connect them. They're always talking to each other. And so because of that, 
I mean, I can talk. I I could probably talk myself out of a brown paper bag. But if somatically, like if if I have like an empowered or like an embodied like yes or no, like I don't question. I can figure it out later. Yeah. But it's a yes or no for me. And because I trust in that, when I have that embodied or somatic information come through in the different ways that I understand my own body, right? And nervous system, I don't question it. Yeah. My body is knowing. And I also hold the belief that it is also deeply informed by, right? Like generations that have come before me and the ancestors and all the things. So I'm like, I'm not, who am I to argue with you? Which then makes me wonder as you say that, and this might not be where you're going. So correct me. It also comes back to then our responsibilities as ancestors to make the right decisions based on values, based on all the things. Because if we're informed by our ancestors, which I know that we are, are we being the right kind of ancestors for who comes after us? If we stay, if we don't have solid decisions based on values. So I'm just, I'm going to have to sit on that one for a little bit. Yeah. I say yes. And I actually not, not just that far out, right? Like, yes, absolutely. The things and decisions that we make in absolutely impact Right. And so this is legacy. The decision that I make right now will impact the my literal lineage, whether they know my name or not. But even in so far as the younger generations that are present while we are still on this earth and on this planet that are watching us make decisions, that are hearing how we talk about ourselves, how we talk about our workplaces, how we talk about our relationship to rest and joy and peace and all of those other things. We are deeply responsible to that next generation, whether we're responsible for raising them or not, right? Whether there are actual littles or they're just a kid at a coffee shop sitting next to us, they are taking in information all the time. And they're too young quite yet to understand it at the emotional level that in which we're, you know, talking about it, obviously, because of the age gaps, but that does have an impact on their socialization and on their understanding and how they begin to understand the world. Yeah. We are deeply responsible for that next generation, even just in the way we carry ourselves energetically, right? I tell friends of mine all the time who this is, you know, a little heavy, but friends who are contemplating, for example, divorce from their partner. And they're like, oh, well, we don't want, we want to stay together for the kids. And I'm like, I'm sorry, your child is four and 1000% understands that their parents don't like each other. And that there is an energetic difference in how their parents engage. There's a heaviness. Do you know what that does to the nervous system and the development system of a child? It is actually better for your child to see you separate and uncouple in a healthy way and then see healthy and a healthy example of co-parenting and, you know, and then get to see you happy and joyous and taking care of yourself. That is far healthier and better for the child. But we only think about, you know, what am I teaching them? And if oh, if I'm not talking to them directly, like they're fine. No, we are living ancestors right now. Yeah. We have a profound, in my belief, we have a profound responsibility, not just to the next generations, but the ones who are, who are sharing this earth with us right now to be better stewards, right? Of information and of modeled behavior. Mm-hmm. That makes me wonder a little bit for kind of, as we start to wrap up, as we have that great responsibility, then how does that parlay for you with kind of going back to the beginning of if we're in really important work, Mm -hmm. 
and our body somatically, we know we need to go. Is there a way that someone can check in with themselves? Is there something that you would offer for someone to, to just like live in accordance to who you are as a living ancestor, live in accordance to who you are based on your value system. And if someone's still like, I know, but I can't leave. Well, I can't make that decision. What would you say to that person listening? Yeah. So the first question is very similar to, you know, I I kind of already laid it out, but the first question is, do you actually need to leave or do you need better boundaries with yourself? And then maybe even better boundaries with your workplace. Have you had the conversations with yourself and then with the workplace? Because again, I'm a fan of unpopular opinions. Sometimes the people that are leading us actually one, don't have other models for what leadership looks like because they've never been taught it. And two, they don't even realize that what they're doing is exploitative or extractive or harmful because it is so the status quo. And sometimes they need a mirror held up to themselves. Now, obviously, if the response that you get when you try to share those things is, is like, you're fired, suck it up, this is how it is. Then that lets you know that is really like that is actually the that's the vibe of the place, right? Like those are the blocks that it's built on. It's just not a a, a healthy or positive place to be. Yeah. Right. So the next question I always ask is, well, why can't you leave? Is it financial stability, right? Economic burden, maybe you're taking care of a lot of people. Total reality. And cool. That's what, you know, you can plan, you can strategize. This is where you have a choice to actually lean into your liberation ethos, right? Your liberation frameworks is reaching out to community, asking for support to like mastermind a plan, or if people have work opportunities, right? Whatever the thing is, and do that very quietly because a workplace that is going to treat you like that and stands on that doesn't care about you anyways. So this whole notion of like you, they deserve two weeks or any of that goes out the window. They don't care about you. Take care of yourself, right? Once they've let you know that, take care of yourself. So if the reason you can't leave is the the economic stuff, right? Have a plan, have a job, ready to go, right? Have Have an exit strategy. If it's narratives and socialization, then it's either, right, depending on your resources and, and what's available to you, whether it's a therapist, a coach, podcasts, a book, getting the support to really dive deep and look at where your existing narratives mm-hmm. are actually rooted in oppression and rooted in your own dehumanization be- because that's what they are, right? That's what we've been taught to do. And where do you need to divest and repattern and create new beliefs yeah. and then integrate them? That takes longer and that takes a while and it definitely requires support, right? Maybe even having like an accountability buddy so that the days where you're like, I just got to suck it up and do this because of all these scary things, or it's scarier to do the work than to just leave. You know, you have a friend that's like, ah, 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 no, yeah. you hate it there. Yeah. You, you deserve better, right? Like whatever it is that you need to hear. So those would be the first things that I suggest. Again, notice that both of those things require reaching outside of yourself, asking for support, leaning on your community, figuring out what it is that you need. And sometimes it's also both of those things, right? Yeah. And so getting the support necessary to be able to to do that, um, because the reality is there are a lot of places that are doing whatever the movement is, right? Justice work around that movement 
that are not reproducing systems of oppression. And this is the hardest pill to swallow. Sometimes you have to accept that maybe you just need to get a quote unquote regular job and just commit your life fully to living in a liberatory way Mm -hmm. and advocating for whatever the thing is, whatever that particular movement is, maybe just volunteering so that you can detach, but not creating a reality where it's so deeply intertwined with your financial stability and safety so that you don't, so your lizard brain isn't always under threat, right? So your nervous system isn't always processing it as literal survival. And and I wonder too about, so that your liberations for yourself first, like you said, mm-hmm. and not just for the movement. Yeah. 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 I, I, I mean that we liberate others by way of our own liberation. And I tell people all the time, I'm actually not interested in changing systems. They're like, what? That's wild. And I'm like, no, I'm interested in changing people. Because if you change enough people, then systems and cultures inherently change. Is there anything else you want to say that feels important, relevant to this conversation? I think I would just leave people with, like, if you took nothing else from this, <laughs> tending to yourself is never, ever going to be wrong. Tending to yourself does not fly in the face of liberation. And in fact, tending to yourself is deeply revolutionary. Tending to yourself is literally what liberation is about. And so whatever, wherever you're at, where in your life, in your career, if you can take one step today to take better care of your mo- mental, emotional, psychological, physical well-being, that is one step towards liberation choose a new step every day. Thank you, Weez, for your gifts, your impact, your wisdom, and also for your decisions in what you do in the past and what you're going to do in the future. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Thanks. To learn more about Leaving Well and how you can implement and embed the framework and culture in your own life and workplace, visit NaomiHadaway.com. It's time for each of us to look ourselves in the mirror and finally admit we are playing a powerful role in the system. We can either exist outside of our power or choose to decide to shift culture and to create transformation. Until next time, I'm your host, Naomi Hadaway, and you've been listening to Leaving Well, a navigation guide for workplace transitions.